This is Paul Kerr from November's Doom, and we are about to discuss metal. This is the Discuss Metal Podcast with Paul Kerr of November's Doom, hosted by Dan Terry and Joseph Wren, presented by DiscussMetal.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Discuss Metal Podcast. The first episode, you might be thinking, Dan, you already have discography discussion. What the hell is this Discuss Metal shit? I know your website is DiscussMetal.com, but what? why are you doing another podcast? The reason is, is sometimes we like to talk to people, and it's hard sometimes to get these guys to sit down and listen to an entire band's discography and get back to us. Like, that's a lot of work for somebody that might be on tour, writing albums, doing their thing, doing their press cycles. So this is a podcast that is focused around interviewing people that have a some relation to the show, bands that we've talked about on the show, or, or maybe not. We want to expand our interview palette, so uh, we're going to be giving you guys the Discuss Metal podcast. You don't have to subscribe to a new podcast. It'll be on the same feed, and we've got a really cool one for you guys tonight as episode one. We just got done talking to Paul Kerr, lead singer of November's Doom, and this was a really fun conversation. Holy shit, dude. Just coming in hot like that. The episode goes out on Sunday. Three days later, we're talking to Paul. What just happened? (laughs) He's letting us know the stuff that we got wrong. He's letting us know the stuff that we got right. We had a great conversation about the band's career overall, which is amazing because we already did that last week, but now we had a better one. You know, we, we got to hear it from the horse's mouth and, and him explain a lot of this stuff. And it was really fun. It was casual. It was a great conversation. And I hope you guys really enjoy it. Let's get into our conversation with Paul Kerr of November's Doom. Hello. Hello, Paul. Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, not too much. Um, are you still hearing yourself through your uh, through your speakers now? There he is. You know what? I can. Uh, yeah, yeah. Here, let me. Let me. Uh, I didn't know you were doing video. Let me turn this around here. Oh yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah. Um, I can kind of hear myself, but I can't like through my headphones. I can't hear my own voice with Skype. I used to be able to do that. I don't know if that's huh. something that they they've changed or. It's really strange. Yeah, I don't usually hear myself whenever I whenever I do interviews from home. Uh, a lot of the time, I don't hear myself through Skype. I can only hear myself now because Joe's running us through a mixer and through all you know. Because like you're just seeing my video, you're not you're not actually getting any audio from my Skype. We're sitting in the same room, but we set our studio up in such a way where there like, he is. Oh, I yeah, see. Yeah. There you go. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's kind of weird, but it works. No, you know what? I know how that goes because uh, when when me and the misses when we play. Uh, Xbox. We have two Xbox running, and we have two TVs in the same room, sitting next to each other on the couch. Each, you know, it's the only way to do it. <laughs> That's the dream, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, she plays. Uh, we play Rainbow Six, and uh, yeah, she's better than I am. So you it's... can't screen sheet in that scenario. No, no, not at all. Yeah, my wife never. The only thing I could ever get her to play is like Mario Kart or, <laughs> or something like that. Oh, she plays that stuff too. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, she's uh, old school gamer too, so. Yeah, it works out. I'm trying to adjust this here, so you yeah, you're, you're sounding good to me. You're fine. Yeah, you see, you're coming in real good. clear because awesome. you're using an actual microphone. Like, no, yeah, I, I I know, especially if you guys are doing like podcasts and stuff like that, you want the audio to be as as good as you know it possibly can be. So absolutely, speaking my language, dude. Where, yeah. Where's he been? <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Took me a year just to get him to get a regular mic for his house. Uh yeah. So you're in Illinois, but far enough away from us to be on a different time zone. 
Oh, okay. Where are you guys at? I we're don't in, even know. We're, well, we're in St. Louis. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's not bad at all. Well, you know, you're different time zone, but it's just by like this much. Yeah, like it, we're really not that far from being able to just like drive up and see a show. You know what I mean? Like, shit, I haven't been to St. Louis in, in ages. The last time we were there, we played uh, the Creepy Crawl. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that place is know. gone now, but uh, ah, figures. We, we've we've done that to a lot of venues. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was you, man. I think they I think they sank their own ship. <laughs> they That's they had usually a, what happens. They had a list on their website of like thirty nine annoying things the bands do, and it just like pissed everybody off to the point where we're like, well, we're not going to come to your venue then. Like you know, like see how well you guys do with no entertainment. You know, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So you listen to the whole episode? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. All yeah, right. uh, uh, Nikki, uh, my fiance, she uh, she goes. Do you hear this uh, this podcast? These guys like they they listen to your whole discography. I go, man, who the hell would want to do that? So yeah, I, I had a I, I had to hear what you had to say. Of course. Yeah, we we've done it. How many times now, Joe? One hundred and forty. One hundred and forty on tape. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So we, that's basically what we do. Is we'll take a we'll take a band and we'll listen whether we're familiar or not and. Uh, because like you may have heard our our co-host Mike, who unfortunately isn't here tonight, he uh, he had to work. But uh, he um, he's the one that actually showed me November's Doom, and it was like years and years ago. And we listened to like Pale Haunt and and Novella, like, and we, that was back at a time where we didn't like necessarily know there was like a whole bunch more albums, you know? Yeah, yeah. So we just listened to those, and then like whatever new ones. Um, but that's basically what we'll do is we'll take a band, we'll listen to all their albums in like a week or two, and then we just kind of give like an uh, our unvarnished, you know, whatever comes out of our, you know, whatever comes out of our heads, feelings uh, about yeah. those about those records. So, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully we weren't too harsh. But uh, I, I got to tell you, man, I was thoroughly look. I, I I am under no delusion that we can please everybody with sure. everything we ever do, and I know that, and I I know it's really hard to stay consistent and make people, especially when we've been around as long as we have, to make everybody happy for everything you do. I know it's impossible. So I thought that, man, you guys handled everything with such class. And it really impressed me because a lot of people will just take the easy way out and and the easy comments. And it's just, it's hard being a musician and a creator like that that puts in that kind of time and and hard work and dedication and passion into what we do and then have someone just rip it to shreds in seconds that you can tell barely listen to it and it's you, you, I, I did not get that from you guys even even with comparisons and things like that it was done with uh, taste and, and class and I really appreciated that so like even before I got to the part where you guys are like, hey, Paul, get in contact. And I'm like, we were sitting there. I'm like, I should reach out to these guys. Yeah. So, yeah, it's worked out really well. Yeah, no, we're glad that you did. That's why we throw that out there on every episode. We're like, you know, it's possible that whatever we end up doing might end up getting back to the artist, you know. So we oh, might instantly. as well throw it out there that like, hey, well, yeah, I know with modern technology, it was like we had the episode had only been up for a few hours. And you're like, hey, I just got to this part. So, you know, whenever you guys want to go. And I was like, OK, cool. Well, we're scouring right now because we have the new album coming out. So right. we're constantly like looking for any kind of like when our name pops up, we're, we're just seeing what reviews are saying or if it's leaked or anything like that. So, so yeah, we, we, I, we caught it right away. For our patrons, we do individual album reviews that are kind of exclusive. I mean, it's only a dollar if you want to join the feed. That's not a cheap plug yet. Nice. But we had you on the schedule already when the new album comes out. Oh, very cool. And... I was shocked today when I listened to it. One of the things that I noticed about 
people that listen to November's Doom, there is the consistent, overwhelming, please stop comparison to Opeth. <laughs> the things <laughs> that Guilty. Opeth does that I like, you're doing more of. So today I'm listening to the new record and said, where are the Opeth fans that are complaining about the lack of death metal and why aren't they listening yeah. to this? Because this is what they've been asking for for at least the past 10 years. Yeah, um, man, it's been a struggle. I mean, we've, we've struggled as a band for a long time time and uh geography had a lot to do with that and timing and you know it was funny when i listened to your podcast and as you were guys are going around and, and going on and, and talking about things i'm like i'm answering the questions out loud in my living room like you can hear me <laughs> right <laughs> and there were so many times where i'm like oh god i wish i could talk to these guys about this right now and i wish i can tell them because some of the things i, I have to tell you guys you nailed you were so spot on with things that like kind of freaked me out that I'm like, holy shit, like no one ever gets that spot on with this kind of stuff. And there were other things that you were so far off sure. that I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh no, I got to tell them the truth on this. And then maybe like even some of the stuff where you guys are like, yeah, I'm not sure about that. And I'm like, if you knew the story or the real reason, you might have a completely different opinion on that. And that's one of the biggest struggles with what we do is it's all guesswork. You know, absolutely, absolutely. So you know, if 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 you if you get a fifty percent, you're like, well, I did good. You know, but uh, you did more than fifty, man. It was it, you guys nailed a lot of it. It was great. Well, what were some of the things, if you can remember offhand, um, that 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 come to mind? Um, here's two things, right? Yeah, right off the bat, there's two things that you guys got reversed that you got completely wrong. The knowing is 100% a concept album from beginning to end. It's a made-up story. There is nothing personal in that record for me whatsoever. It is 100% bullshit. Contrived, <laughs> like you said. It's not a contrived. That was the funniest part. You're like, at least it's not a, I think that was the word you used, Yeah. a, a contrived concept. I'm like, yes, it is. Totally, 100%. The whole concept behind the story is it is it is the knowing. If, if you were to wake up tomorrow and you had the answer to every question anyone can possibly ask ever, the existence uh, of, of mankind, when your loved ones were going to die, how the world was going to end, if there's really a God, you have the answer to everything. How do you go through life with that power? How, what do you do with that? Do you tell your loved ones? Do you, and, then, and then as the story goes on, the, the character of the story then tries to intervene. And every time he intervenes and tries to stop his loved one from dying, he instantly sees how they're going to die next. And it's, it's this struggle that you just can't stop. So it's um, that's why the very beginning of the lyrics are, I, I, I embrace the knowing. And then it's just the story. And that and so, yeah, that one is completely 100% uh, a concept record. See, I took it totally at face value, too. And uh, and that's cool. Yeah. Like, because I, I really like, I think, you know, I even mentioned on the episode that I, I loved that record. And it was one of the one of the first ones that really connected with me. Um, but again, I wasn't coming at it from that perspective. And, and, uh, and see, and I kept that. I, I, I love writing even that kind of stuff. Like I wrote in a way where I wanted to still try to make songs personal to someone who can make it personal to them. Sure. But I mean, for the first, like Amidatel of Mirth, Sculptured Ivy, The Knowing, uh, all those first albums, I, I had no idea what I was doing. It, it was it was like 
well, I we play this kind of music, and I think the lyrics need to be this romantic poetry kind of like shit. And that's I I like did a lot of winging it back then. <laughs> I really did, and because uh, I thought it fit the music at the time. I did not truly get personal and real with my lyrics until "To Welcome the Fade," and it was at that time I was a new father. And I was diagnosed with a spine disease where my I was told, you know, prepare yourself to be crippled and all this other kind of stuff. So a lot of that album, when you guys were saying, was like very pointed and direct. And it was and it was extremely direct. I mean, even Swallowed by the Moon, um, that's one of those songs where that was a suicide note to my daughter. That was legit. And I mean, that was that was going to happen one night. I had it planned. I had I had a gun with me. It was snowing outside. I was going to go and shoot myself in the backyard so my family didn't have to clean up the mess. I did not know how to deal with this new pain that I had physical pain that was not going away. And I couldn't I it, it was it was it was destroying my mind. And uh, so that's a big regret in life. I wish I would have never wrote that song. Because that became one of these songs where like fans want to hear and I don't want to play it. <laughs> so I've made a lot of mistakes in, in that regard where I think I got too personal with a lot of stuff. So, yeah, I get where like some of those songs at the time and on those albums come off as very, uh, I don't know if amateur is the right word, but um, high school. Just just because I didn't put that kind of thought into the words. I was just speaking through pain and what was on my mind at that moment. And I just needed to get it out because I needed some sort of relief. Yeah. And that definitely, I mean, you can, you can kind of hear like, cause that's one of the things that I liked about that song is that you hear it's weird saying, Oh yeah, I liked it. This horrible dark time. In your no, life. no, I, I know it really made me happy. Yeah. But no, it's <laughs> it all good. Uh, I'm, I'm past it, man. Right. Life is good. I have no complaints yet. I mean, I've learned how to deal with it. So that song was, yeah, because I, I think I mentioned, I was like, yeah, it's a little weird, you know, hearing him, you know, say stuff like so directly. But at the same time, you know, we're looking at a genre of music, you know, on a whole that is very melodramatic, you know, oh, to, to, to the point where like some, there's some stuff that gets so dramatic that I just can't even do it. I can't stand it, you know. So to hear lyrics that were more direct almost had more of the effect of being more refreshing than like, I'm in the forest and the leaves are changing and there's water <laughs> dripping from the leaves. And there's like, you know, I've heard that record 5,000 times. So to, yeah. <laughs> to have something to have something that was a little bit more tangible, a little bit more realistic, because I know I know we bagged on the lyrics a little bit where we're like, yeah, it seems like, you know, um, he's saying the floor is made of floor here or, you know, oh, like, man, you know what? I agree with you 100 percent. There are moments in writing where you hit that that dry spot, that brick wall and you just I, I this fits and then you move on with the intention of going back and possibly like editing your stuff and then that just doesn't happen because you right. get busy no trust me there are there are moments i have my own cringe worthy moments and lyrics and and things like that where i go what, what, what was i thinking oh yeah i absolutely man so no i <laughs> i laughed when when you said that because i'm like ah called out on it because i know exactly what you mean that line drives me nuts yeah though what was the, we don't uh, do that I, song anymore. i stand alone in the company of none is that <laughs> yeah <laughs> we don't even play that song anymore because i hate that so much it's yeah, so funny it's, the uh, first time i heard that song i was driving well i wasn't driving let me pre preface this mike who was also on the episode he was driving me to taco bell this is like four years ago and he's driving me to Taco Bell, and I'm like pass out drunk in the back seat. And that was the only thing I remembered from that song. 
I was like, that's weird. Why is that weird? I, I don't, because I was too drunk to really like know like why it was. And then, uh, so whenever we no, came it's back to it, redundancy, when we came back for the uh, episode, I was like, oh yeah, I remember this now, you know. Uh, but you know, one of the one of the things that Mike pointed out too was that uh, I really wish he was here. Um, but uh, one of the things he pointed out too in the episode, he's like, he's like, but then I, he goes, I went online. He's like, and I looked for other examples of bands that have done, you know, kind of the same thing. And he's like, dude, literally everybody from like the Beatles to the Rolling Stones to, you know, all these like classic rock bands, like they've all done it. Yeah, he's like, yeah. he's like, we're not here to shit on the band for one bad line, you know, or, or whatever. And uh, and that, that that's my favorite thing about doing this show is that we try to be as balanced as we can on that kind of stuff where it's like you can get caught up on this one thing. And oh, um, yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, it's easy to just be like, well, it's dog shit or it's, you know, I mean, man, I look I look back at like my entire music career and not just November's Doom. And I have I have 11 November's Doom records. I have three. These are they albums. I wrote all the Witherscape stuff for Dan Swano. I wrote all the lyrics for all of those albums. I wrote uh, an old band. I was in M Symphonia. There are so many lyrics I've written over the last like 30 some odd years that uh it gets hard, man, just trying to keep like and not rehash the same crap. And it, it's difficult, and especially if you get writer's block. I know uh, Hamartia was like the worst in, in my career of last minute. We had studio time booked. Gary was in the studio laying down the drum tracks. And I was sitting here on my couch right where I'm at right now. And I'm going, I literally have to start recording vocals in two weeks i don't have word one written i have nothing i have absolutely nothing so i had to like shut myself out from everything i took the and i wrote all lyrics and i took the second week and i wrote all the harmonies and melodies and all that stuff and then went in and started recording right away so down to the wire i've never been like i've never had a writer's block for that long and that amount of time that was a very difficult one for me to pull off I bet, man. I've only so ever recorded. It happens. I've only recorded one album that was only thirty minutes, and that drove me nuts just trying to write lyrics for that, you know. And yeah. it was just, it was too much. And uh, I wasn't going to point out your own redundancy. But oh my god, dude! It yeah. definitely mm -hmm. happens. <laughs> yeah. If anybody ever, if anybody ever listened to my album, which I don't recommend you to do, um, but if you ever did, you'd be all like, "This guy made fun of me for being redundant," you know. But. Uh, <laughs> hey man, it, it's it's uh, no, I get it, and and there there is uh, especially you become more in the uh, under the microscope from people when when you get perceived in a different way, and uh, we're kind of one of those bands that, and I know even I have like uh, family members, uh, not not direct, but like cousins and aunts and uncles, things like that, and and they you know, back in the day they would walk in Best Buy and they're like, oh. We saw your CD for sale in Best Buy. <laughs> you must be making so much money. Huh. Like people get this completely different idea of of success when they see something like that. And I'm just like, money? I've never made a dime in this band. Are right. you kidding me? I mean, you want to see how much money I've spent out of my own pocket? Yeah, that's yeah, exactly on gear and microphones and and paying. Yeah, it's. It's it's ridiculous. So I, I think when when a band like us and we've been around for as long as we have and we've put out as many albums as we have, you you become one of these bands that are under a microscope by a lot of people, and they do they pick things apart and they scrutinize and they they really like get in there and dissect 
what you did. Like you get you get both worlds. You get the people who just don't give a shit and you know they're writing a review for the record because they're getting it free and hey, you know what? I get free music, so you know, I get to and yeah, and and those are the reviews that we get and it's like November's Doom puts out uh Hamardia and you know, it's typical doom death and it sounds like my dying bride opeth catatonia and moonspell and then right. i'm like how do we sound like all four of those bands when none of those bands sound alike well, how right, the yeah. hell does that work you can tell instantly the lazy journalism and the lazy reviews or the people that actually took like more than 30 seconds of each track and listened to what you did and and you know that's that's fair and i, I know there's so much music that comes out not everybody can do that and i i totally understand that but uh it just it as an artist, it makes you feel better when someone can listen to it and they get it and they at least have even if if it's even if they don't. I don't care if people don't like it. I, I, I say we can't please everybody. If you sure. don't like it, man, tell me why you don't like it and let's let's have you know really tell me why, not just it sucks because it reminded me of this. It's like tell me what you didn't like about it because maybe I didn't like that too, and maybe you're gonna help me for next time try to improve and do better. I'm I'm great with constructive criticism you know i welcome all of it it's it's the you know the the simple jabs and you know we we get the uh the opeth thing a lot in our career and uh not a single member of november's doom heard opeth for many I mean, we didn't even know who the band was not at all and then all of a sudden it was it was you know well, you guys sound like Opeth. It's like, well, maybe Opeth sounds like us because we have right. no idea who the hell this band is. Did Opeth start in 1989? Yeah, that's <laughs> the first question that you know pops up. Is- no, they didn't. Yeah, you know, no, I, I don't know. You know, and it's kind of I, I became friends with Michael, and we did many shows with them over the years. And I mean, it, it's never even been discussed. It's just kind of I don't even think he cares about us or our kind of music anyway so it doesn't i think make he's i think he's done with all with the metal thing you know the really you know anything that's not like 70s you know prog rock i think that's that's his shit and he loves it and that's great um, and you yeah. know so yeah and we did we did make the opeth comparison a lot but i thought of course we tried we tried really hard to be balanced with that um i think we had like a limited number of comparisons we were allowed to make to opeth because we knew going in that, like it. it's it's got to be something that they hear all the time. On the surface, and it's cosmetic. The average sure. listener and even the above average listener is going to make that comparison. If you've heard Blackwater Park, Deliverance, Damnation, Watershed at some point. And I get it. Look, there's there's heavy guitars. Then you get into acoustic guitars. And then you have deep, heavy growls. And then you get into clean singing. Those four elements right there make up November's Doom and Opeth. And My Dying Bride. And Older Catatonia. And some Older Anathema. And we can go on Saturnus. And, you know, Swallow the Sun. And we can go on and on and on. Draconian. And yet none of these bands really sound that much alike everyone kind of has their own unique little flair on it and i think that's one thing one of the things you guys completely nailed is yeah we drew from the same influences coming up it it was all you know i have we and every guy in november's doom has such a wide musical taste that and none of us are the same so we all bring in different elements of things that we like, and it just happens to to come together like that. Like Larry, the guitar player, um, main songwriter of the band, he's not that into metal at all. 
he does not like a lot of that stuff or those bands. He is into Genesis and the Beatles and Pink Floyd and and uh, he's into a lot of yacht rock. And I mean, he <laughs> listens to like he. No, I'm, I'm no, totally it's cool. serious. Totally, he he has got like the widest um, influence pool of anybody I know, and metal is not one of them. And you know, Vito, the other guitar player, he he's he's influenced by metal, but it's more like. Uh, this will destroy you or uh he, he likes nevermore he liked nevermore a lot and you know more of that that kind of like uh technical Proggy, kind of metal so we, we gotta like yeah. we gotta tell him we gotta dial him back a lot of times when you hear that like chuggy more that's that's Vito's influence coming through but uh yeah so everybody's just very different i mean it's uh but the, the, for some reason we're drawn to what we do and what we create and it just kind of we're similar to these other bands. It's like you can't really bring Pink Floyd into a death metal band and and have it stay a death metal band. And you can't bring the Beatles and harmony and, and vocal things like that into a death metal band and still call it a death metal band. As soon as you start to do that, you fall into distorted guitars, acoustic guitars, growls, clean vocals. That's it. And then you get compared to the kings of that genre or what were the kings of that genre and that Opeth, right place, right time. They got the popularity. They drew the the lucky straw because, you know, without sounding arrogant or pompous or, or anything like that, I don't like comparing us to other bands, but I will put, and I'm not saying for myself, because Michael, he's he's a much better vocalist than I am. I, I no doubt about it. He he can sing circles around me. I, I will never say otherwise. Um, but when it goes to my guys in November's Doom, I've got some fantastic musicians in my band who, it's funny because people will say, Oh, they, they play simple stuff. And then Larry will be like, okay, then play it. And there you go. No, yeah. they can't. And they're missing. It's like, you're not playing it right. You're missing all the nuance. You're mi- it, it is not as simple, at least not the later stuff. Earlier stuff, a mid-tell mirth, dude, I can play that and I don't play guitar. Right, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, there's nothing there, really. I mean, that was kids. That was kids in my mom's basement who, you know, that's, we just wanted to be heavy. That's, sure. that's all it was. Yeah, I mean, so. mission accomplished, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, and, like, I think uh, Joe probably summed it up the best whenever he was like, you've got two engineers working on the same problem. Right. You know, if they both come up with a similar solution, then you can't patent the home button on your iPhone. Or Very you can't, true. you know, and, and I think that was that was probably the best way to sum it up in that, like, yeah, sure, there's a cosmetic similarity between two bands. And I know I went on a I went on a, like a, a rant on a YouTube comment about uh, somebody. That's great. Yeah, yeah, because I was like, dude, I you know I'm sorry that I'm coming back on this three years later because I'm trying to watch like so I'm trying to watch the performance because I like pulling up a live you know a live show and and getting just getting a feel of like what is it like to see November's Doom as close as I can get to you know like being there as in a YouTube video you know. <laughs> And uh, and I can't help it. I have to see what everybody's saying. And the top comment is like, "This guy's like the American Michael Ackerfeld." I'm like, "Is it though?" You know, like, <laughs> no, dude. <laughs> Michael Ackerfeld emigrates to this country, gets a green card, and gains citizenship. That is the yeah. American Michael Ackerfeld. Right. That's the only one. You know. <laughs> and yeah. And yeah. What I what I loved about that performance too, uh, that I thought was interesting. I don't know if you remember which one I'm talking about, but that's the the grass pop. Grass uh, pop. Yeah. 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 One of the things I love the most about that show is you're playing this music and you're smiling. 
almost the entire time. And uh, and I've never. I've, I love what I do, man. Yeah, and, and I've never, <laughs> I've never seen that um, in a, in that in, in this style of music because everybody gets up there and they're just like, we're fucking metal, you know, we're you know we're into it. We're all you know circle circle banging our hair and you know doing all this stuff and. It just comes off with so much cheese, and I was like, I was like, it's it's really refreshing to see somebody just doing what they want to do. They're happy that they're out playing, and that was that was one of the things that endeared me to the band the most was just this this idea of like we're doing it, we're having fun, we're doing something that most other people don't really get a chance to. Do. How many? I mean, how many people you know that have eleven albums? You know what Not I mean? Yeah, I know, I know, and and have been been able to like travel the world and play some of the shows we have. That's we're, we are a bunch of goofballs and complete nerds and you know everyone that's the other misconception you're in a a doom band and you're expected to be this miserable somber you know serious all the time and that is so if if you watch any of those shows you will see us go up to each other on stage especially me back and forth and i'll get in larry's ear or i'll get in mike's ear and we start having conversations on stage and we're laughing and joking around and most of the time it's either talking about like the new star wars figures that are coming out in two weeks or shit force fridays tomorrow man we're standing up here we're gonna fucking miss it and i mean we have conversations like this on stage or we'll say things to each other to try to screw each other up and it's just we yeah we're 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 goofy like that all the time it's got to stay fun everything (laughs) is tough that's what i hear i've never had the opportunity Man, it's rough. And when you get in a string of bad days in a row with travel and no sleep and uh, yeah, there's been many moments like the band where you're in a hotel somewhere and everybody's fighting and it's like, that's it. That's the end. We're done. We quit. And, you know, and then it takes a few minutes to like reel it back together. And because we don't do it for a living, this is not like our job. So if we don't have fun and we're not enjoying what we're doing, then what's the point? You know, there is none. So. We, we have to love it. Well, yeah, and the effect that that has on family and spouses and kids and, you know, all that stuff. You're like you're taking your vacation time off to go on tour, you know? It, it is difficult. Um, my family's very supportive. I'm very lucky. Uh, my, my daughter's a very good singer. She sings on a few songs on Hamardia with me, actually, the female vocals here, and that, that's my kid. That's awesome. Really? Um, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's really good. She's she's embarrassed. She's got, she's got a, a song on... Uh, with uh, another kid that she did and it's it's like a like a hip-hop kind of thing the kids rapping and she sings like the hook behind it but oh cool it's got like over two hundred thousand like like streams on uh spotify she's doing really well you're so like I'm, I'm you're like i've been doing it wrong all this time yeah yeah what the hell <laughs> i should have found the most she's, popular thing and done that yeah. she's really she's quite talented she's got more talent than i do so i hopefully she sticks with it and, and moves forward but uh yeah, so she she she's does on a few songs on that album with me. It's great. Well, looking looking back at the band's history, I mean, how how hard was it to keep? Yeah, you because know, I know you've had you you've had members swap in and out since. I mean, nobody can keep the same band together since 1989. You know what? How 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 hard was that to keep the momentum going throughout different? You know, having to collaborate with different songwriters and and different different musicians people all have a different view of what they think that the band should be yet right. you're the original member so you know how, how does all that work or in real life it was very difficult um at times and at other times uh fresh blood is good for a band because it, it motivates everybody again and it gets everybody kind of and you see somebody else get excited about something you oh yeah that is a cool thing and you kind of get excited about it as well um, yeah, it was, uh, 
the last three records now, Nephilim Grove, Hamardia, uh, and Blood White, it's the only time like in the history of the band where we've had the same lineup multiple times in a row. Up until then, somebody has changed with every single album. Uh, like our old drummer, Sasha, he left us and he joined Forbidden for a short amount of time. Now he's with X Order. So, uh, wait, was that forbidden from the early 80s? Yeah, wow, okay, yeah, cool. He's, yeah, he's, he's a great guy, great drummer. So, I mean, uh, then we had to find like he was such a good drummer, it's big shoes to fill for us, and then we didn't want to take a step back in the drumming. That's the one thing that we've done from the very beginning is we raise our own bar and we set our own level of standard that we push really hard to try to cross our own bar every time and maybe not everybody hears it but we have our personal goals and we never want to take such a huge leap forward on a record that's going to surprise people in a bad way but like my goal sitting down for nephilim grove i wanted to really work on my clean vocals i wanted more harmony i wanted more melody i wanted more hook in the verses not just the choruses i i put a lot of work into that this time than i have in any other record so when you get new blood in and, and that going going around in circle to get to to answer your question, I was finally able to do that for myself because we didn't have new members that we had to concentrate on to make sure that they were writing in the direction we needed them to and they were going to play their parts the way it fit. We are to a point now with this lineup where we all trust each other and we all know that everybody knows what page we're on, where they need to be, where their boundaries are. But we want you to push, get as close to that as you can, maybe cross the line a little bit and then we'll reel you back or we'll say, you know what? No, that's cool. Let's go with it. Like there's stuff on this new record that people aren't going to get and they're going to they're going to think their influences from places that they're not. And, uh, you know, uh, the last song on, on the new record is called The Obelisk. And the bass line, <laughs> he probably doesn't want me to tell anybody that the bass line is almost a direct ripoff of Duran Duran. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, I I mean like I said, there's stuff that, that these guys pull out and like directly rip off from other bands and no one ever gets it. And they hear something and go, oh, that's clearly Opeth. It's like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Right. Not at all. That's not. That's Duran Duran is what that is. Right. So yeah, it, it's uh, <laughs> ah. it makes us laugh. I mean, because we're we're goofy. It used to bother us, man. I, I way back in the day, like when you're a young band and you're starting out and you read a negative review, you take it personal. It's like a fuck that guy, you know. You you get yeah, and then yeah. over time, it's like we we've learned to laugh at this stuff and. Now we make like bets and it's like, all right, who's going to guess it? How long is it going to take before one knows that that this came from, you know, this Beatles record? And <laughs> there, I, there's 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 a little trivia for since Larry joined the band. Uh, what would that be? It'd be the knowing forward. OK, there is almost a direct Beatles ripoff on every record we have. <laughs> and, and so try to find it because oh, he sneaks him in there every time. Well, Joe listens to more Beatles than I do. Because you know, I'm like I'm like super metal or whatever, right? But <laughs> whatever that means. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's so funny too. And like when I listen to this record, when I listen to the new record, thank you very much, by the way. And um, you'd think I'd be burned out at this point, but I was actually like really on for it because we had I, we'd seen the progression, you know, uh, from all the records and everything was still fresh in my mind. So it was a lot of fun to listen to it because we we even said on the episode we're like, well, yeah, there, there's a new record that's coming out soon. Not sure why we didn't wait until it dropped to drop the episode, but uh, 
But at that point, I would have only had like two or three days right, to listen right. to it, and it wouldn't have been an accurate, you know, really portrayal of it. So when I when I listened to it, I was like, oh my god, like this actually, you know, I always worry whenever a band gets this many albums in that like there, there's something Joe says all the time where he's like, yeah, it's just the next record by so and so, you know. And uh, what that sums up is, you know, this band's found a groove, they found a pocket. And so I find it interesting that this many years later, you guys are still trying new shit out, you know? And that's, I loved that about it. Like the differences, like you were saying, like in the vocals and the delivery, I was was like, it's cool. And it's something I haven't heard before from on a November's Doom album. So there's not that feeling of sameness, but you're also still getting the same band. And and I, uh, I found that to be probably the most enjoyable part of it and i even felt the way about the last record too like when we got to it i was like they're still kind of pushing this idea of like we're not going to stay in one place we're going to go we're going to take it further we're going to go cool places with it and uh we get nervous we we do get nervous we'll we'll write the stuff and we're our worst critics and and like all the way up to even like recording in the studio we're like yeah i'm not sure about this i don't know what people are going to think about this and then when it's all said and done and all the layers are in and the song we're like wow man that's that's great and it's it it becomes this this new like entity because there's definitely stuff on this new record where i think it's not so far off that that will totally shock people but i think there's seeing things that people will hear and go wow that's definitely something new and different and so that's i mean i I hopefully we achieve that and hopefully in a way where um i mean it's that cliche thing where every band says i it's it's our new record oh it's our best one ever you know they got to sell records they say that but i mean that shit when i say that it's like i can honestly tell you in the career of the band i have never put that kind of time and thought and energy and and demoing and figuring out what I wanted to do personally for my part so in my mind it's the best thing I've ever done I mean it might not be the most catchier people's it might not have that same emotional connection to people in some way but for me on a, a technical level I, I it's the best material I've put out so far and you don't hate it. How many records it. have you recorded that by the time you're done with the whole process, you're like, I hate this? Uh, ten of them. <laughs> oh, mine. <laughs> okay. No, I, so we're being totally I, honest here. Okay. No, I, I, you know, okay. If I had to rate like our records, I, like Amid It's Hallowed Mirth, I, uh, I have no like, like emotional. And I know like to a lot of fans, especially in Europe, that's their favorite record. And they think everything we did after that record's been shit. And I have to laugh. I'm like... Wow, I'm glad I'm glad that's there for you, and I'm glad you have that record. So, like, we'll we'll like play one song off of it occasionally live, and it's fun to do. It's super heavy, and it, yeah, I I enjoy doing like a song from time to time. But like, the knowing's another one. I don't understand the popularity of that record. I don't know why people like that one that much. I really don't. And and to me, and and I, I say that I guess my disconnect from that record, like my disconnect, is probably different than a lot of people. It is about production. It's about the things that I wanted to have done in the studio, things I wanted different in the mix that I can't listen to that record and enjoy it the way that a fan hears it. Sure. So I there's stuff that bothers me so much. There are certain songs that I absolutely detest in our catalog and that, you know, but it used to be really hard. The band would get together when we had to pick a live set and come up with. Now I don't care. I tell the guys, yeah, whatever you guys want. Just tell me what what we're playing and I'll do it. I don't care what it is anymore. You know, it's just it's too hard to sit there and try to pick and choose. Um, 
Yeah, it's man. I, I I'm not. I'm proud of our entire discography. At the time in my life, I needed to do that, and you know, and I moved on from that. And we don't we don't want to make. Okay, there was a uh, something that you guys brought up when a minute Hell and Mirth came out, and then by the time Sculptured Ivy came out, the question had come up. What did the band, what, what took four years to do this album to this album, right? Right. I'll tell you what took four years. There's a second album that no one has ever heard. Aww. Completely written, completely written from beginning to end. And it is basically a It's Hellowed Mirth Part 2. We have a whole second album that's in that same style, in that same vein. And after we wrote it, we kind of went, man, why? Why are we going to do this album again? I mean, we already have it. Right. And it caused some turmoil. It caused one member to quit. It caused he was pissed off now because we were starting over and he wrote half the songs. So he got mad and it, it caused a lot of inner turmoil. And we had kind of broken up at that point and been like, screw it. We're done. One and done. True story. True story for you. Uh, My Dying Bride was coming to town. Uh, they were touring here in America with Dio back in the day. And I, I've been one of my closest friends in life is Andy, the guitar player from Bride. We've been friends from way back 80s and uh, he called me up and said, hey, we're, we're coming. We're going to do this uh, headlining tour. They're going to keep us here for a month longer after the fact and uh, open up for us. So I didn't have a band at the time. I was like, oh, yeah, cool. We'll do it. Sure. And so I had to quickly like put a band together real quick. They did the Dio tour. They started their headlining tour. They played two dates, and their drummer Rick kind of had a breakdown. And there were and and I remember Andy calling me up like from the uh, airport, going, "Yeah, we're going home, man. We're tours canceled." And so I had to go back to the band that I got together quickly to learn these songs. And I said, "Um, okay, so yeah, uh, shows off. You still want to be a band?" And we just kept going from there. It's crazy how that stuff works out, right? Yeah. What other little bit of information for you? Because I know the when we did Sculptured Ivy, the style of music that we went into that direction with Sculptured Ivy, I think there was like, oh, these guys definitely heard uh, uh, Still Life at that time or something like that. Oh, when that yeah. record. <laughs> let me let me tell you what this came from. No, no, this is a great story. So we brought in a new guitar player at that time, Eric Burnley. He replaced Steve Nicholson, who was basically the main songwriter for Minitello Mirth. Steve helped find his own replacement. Eric was the guy. When we brought Eric in and he took over as the main songwriter, he was the only guitarist that we had in the band at the time. We brought someone in very shortly after to fill it out. But Eric was kind of one of these kids who sat in his bedroom and did a lot of guitar playing by himself. And he was really into black metal. So for him, like the first, uh, God, I can't remember some of the stuff he was into back then, but he was into some really obscure black metal. And because he was a loner, he tuned his guitar in a very strange way where he can make these chords. And the way he played, it sounded like two guitars. So he came in, he started writing in this way, a more slowed down, doomy version to fit us. And it was this such this unique, full sound. I think that's where the jangly kind of it, it was more of a slower black metal influence by this guitar player who had to change his tuning to write because he didn't have another guitar player to play with at the time. That's truly how the modern style of this band came about, because every guitar player that came in to join us from that point on had to learn how to play their guitar tuned like Eric. So it 
fucked everybody up for like <laughs> years down the line and and we still tune a little differently because of that so it's um our style derived truly from this odd tuning by a loner kid who was into black metal and that's that's really where it came from there was no influence from other bands like that at all other than his unique way of 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 creating chords that sounded like two full guitars sure that's incredible yeah i, I would have never really uh i wouldn't have picked that up you right. know just from listening absolutely and see that's the stuff like when i'm listening to you guys talk i'm like oh there's a story i gotta tell these guys because you know then they'll they'll kind of get where, where that came from let me ex- let me explain it a little bit better yeah it's such a better story isn't it than sitting there going yeah man we heard still life and we wanted to be that band <laughs> right yeah <laughs> that's weird too because i don't think that record sounds like still life uh really because uh, that was a totally I don't even know different... what Still Life sounds like and I'm being totally I remember hearing it but yeah. I, I mean yeah I don't I don't even remember what that one I just remember it was a proggier kind of death metal record if I remember correctly well it's you know Opeth had that you know Scandinavian death metal because um, I used to joke that like their stuff really wasn't all that different than a lot of the Scandinavian death metal bands at the time yeah it was like a little bit of black metal a little bit of like folk melody with some prog like Opeth probably did the most prog stuff out of everybody, but like he even delivered in kind of more of a black metal rasp. He wasn't like he didn't do the death vocals, you know, like you do, like at that time. And we and we we kept kind of ebbing and flowing on that as we were going through the discography because I was like, well, but here you can say they sound like Opeth, but you're saying they sound like Opeth five years from now, yeah, versus. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so it was. It was really hard. It was a really hard comparison to make, and we tried to justify it as much as we could. But after a while, <laughs> it just kind of fell apart. Like whenever you, whenever you really listen to it, you're like, it's just kind of um, the same idea behind how in the late '90s everybody wanted to sound like Corn, or how everybody wanted, to, you know, like, and how all these bands were popping up in different sides of the world that all had kind of a similar sound but weren't necessarily influenced by each other. My introduction to Michael Ackerfeld was uh, Catatonia's Brave Murder Day. Yeah, yeah. And I heard him on that, and I went, oh, my God, that's some of the best vocal delivery. on any." It, to me, that, that album is, and it, to hear how they wrote that album is just, it, it it's so genius. But that, to me, is one, one of the, the, the most classic and one of the best albums, like, in the genre, bar none. And his vocals have never been better, in my opinion. And I only wanted to hear Opeth because of his vocals in that band. So in my opinion, and I know, God, he would hate to hear me say this because of how much he puts into his music, but man, he should have stayed with Catatonia. Although Catatonia wouldn't be the band they are today, but damn, I would love another album like Brave Murder Day. It, it was it was so good and it clicked for it, for me on a personal level, like everything that I needed to be clicked, it clicked on. So it, it was it was perfect for me at the time. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And it's funny with Catatonia too, because they're one of the bands that kind of made me not as much of a meathead, you know, over time. You <laughs> yeah. know, where I was like, you know, it can still be good music, even if the guy's not like growling over it or, you know, there's not blast beats or there's not, you know, all, all that stuff. And, you know, it's like there you can actually take this style of music and pull real emotion out of it and and that's something yeah, yeah. that that's something that i think that that you guys do really well is again with a little bit more of like a real vocal approach or lyrical approach i think the songs connect a little bit better because they're not we like we were making fun of on the episode but we're like if november's doom wants to tell us something they'll just tell us what it is whereas you know like if you have another band like swallow the sun or something they'll call it like 
as the drapery ivy falls or something dumb or like yeah, and yeah. it's all it's all so buried in metaphor and 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 all of that that it starts to get like because I feel like the further out you get from your original meaning your meaning becomes worthless like it if nobody knows what you're talking about but you then you're not conveying a message to anybody else <laughs> and absolutely um, and maybe that's not every band's goal you know every band doesn't have an agenda or you know like they're trying to push a certain ideal on anybody um, but I thought it was interesting as we went on in the catalog how you know the the ideals like about religion or about um, just the state of the world became a little bit more obvious and a little bit more open and a little bit more like no this is this is legit how I feel because at one point I was like I like that at this point in the band's discography they're taking a definitive stance on anything you know yeah. whereas a yeah. lot of bands in the genre don't do that it's it's a lot of uh, especially when it comes to lyrics I'm the only one who writes the lyrics in the band they've left that up to me I'm the only one who decides on the artwork and puts the packaging together that's all me so I it depends where my head is at at the time. Um, I've always tried to stay since to welcome the fade on as personal as I can, but that also gets hard. I only have so much to say. I, you know, not, I'm not that exciting of a guy. So, you know, every couple of years we put out a record, I might not have that much material to, to touch on. So, like the last few albums, where if there's certain uh, elements that they might not be so personal of mine, but it's a loved one. And I'm telling a story through their eyes, something that they went through that I've like seen them go through, or, you know, I, I, I still try to make things personal and not just for me, but for the listener, I, I want people because for me, I mean, music that you can connect to that, you have that emotional connection. It doesn't even have to be great music. But if you can connect to it, if there's something about it that resonates with with you on that emotional level, I feel like I've we've done our job. And um, I, I try to do that, especially there are specific songs in particular where I sit down and I would say, OK, I'm going to write a song for everybody. This one is not just for me. I'm going to try to get on a subject matter and a topic that everybody can relate to. And hopefully that'll be the one that, you know, I, I can touch people with this record. I can reach people on that level because I, I got to tell you, man, one of the greatest and most humbling gifts that I've been given through all of this is when you go to another country or you go somewhere else or you get contacted by fans. And I do all the time about how our music or the lyrics saved somebody's life in depression or got them through a hard time when a parent or their child died or we had a, a, a woman come up to Vito in Brazil and she was in tears like the whole time because she's like you remind me so much of my husband who just passed away and it was like they, she had this connection with him and it was just things like that man it, it's like when I look back and go I was a kid in my mom's basement doing this with my friends in, in Berwyn, Illinois, you know, where like no one knew who the hell we were. I was nothing. And and over the years, I've been able to reach people across the world on an emotional level. That's humbling, man. That really is. And, and I don't take that for granted. That's that is the biggest reward I get from this. Well, you may have answered this with Amid It's Hollowed Mirth, but 
if the records and the songs are that personal or you're trying to be that personal to the listener, is there a song or a record that you do not want to go back to? <sighs> on, on a personal level, I have a lot like Swallow by the Moon. That's one. I mean, there are songs for me. There are songs that I wrote about certain people in my past that I would like never to hear again or perform again. Yeah, I mean... I can paint myself into a corner the same way where when things go badly down the line, I don't want that constant reminder. And I I don't think about that at the time because I use it as as like that therapy and I'll sit down and I'll write a song so I can get it out. And, and, you know, I before I had my spine disease, I was a martial artist for most of my life. And that's I mean, that kind of took that away from me. I had an outlet in that regard i lost that outlet so my outlet became uh lyrics and writing and music and and things like that so but that doesn't go away now you know we put that down and it's recorded and the lyrics are out there and fans start liking that song and that doesn't go away for me that is just a constant reminder of that moment in my life that maybe i don't want to be reminded of anymore that it took me it was hard to get past it was hard to get through and uh just full of negativity which i don't need so and that's not fair it's not fair to fans who love that stuff and they have a different connection to it and it, it's it's a it's a really strange dichotomy and it's it's a fine line that you have to be i have to be kind of careful about what i even say because i've offended people i've i've we've had fans and they're like oh this song means so much and i'll be like oh really i can't stand that song and they get really mad at me yeah. and really offended because <laughs> they have such a personal attachment to it and I, I have to be mindful of that, and it's, sometimes it's difficult. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that because, you know, especially with, like, the nature of what we do on this podcast, you know, we're always talking shit on someone's favorite band. You know what I mean? Oh, sure, like, sure. At the end of the day, I'll say, like, you know, dude, your favorite band's your favorite band's your favorite band. Our opinions aren't any more important than anybody else's. We right. just decided to record them and put them out, you know? But, like, it's, <laughs> it's, not, it's not that, like, just because I don't like something doesn't give you the right to like something. Um, and even, you know, especially with the with the older fans and the newer fans, you know, it's like if, if your favorite November's Doom album is Amid It's Hollow Mirth, you can still listen to that record. Like, you still have it, you know. Um, it doesn't go anywhere just because the band goes in a different direction, you know. Right. Absolutely. Oh, uh, the, Novello, the Novello Reservoir was not a concept record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so wrong. It, it, it is themed. It is themed around water. It's you definitely definitely right. water themed, yeah. Yes, it is. Uh yeah, and and at that time like a lot of those like the Pale Haunt departure, you guys were pretty spot on with it being a departure of the old kind of sound. It was the birth of the new band. Um, it was a new era. It opened up a whole bunch of doors for us. If there was ever one album in our career that opened doors and put us on the map, I feel, and really maybe brought us from the C-level band to a B-tier, it was probably the Pale Haunt Departure. That that really did well, and uh, especially in Europe, we we've that that's a great. That's probably one of our best-selling records overall throughout our career. It, it did really well for us. So, um, yeah, you were very right on a lot of that record with your assumptions and stuff like that. That was impressive. So that that was cool. That was um, definitely my favorite record out of, you know, like a personal favorite. It's funny, too, because I'll always say, like, this is my favorite record. And then two albums later, I'll be like, but this one's actually the best record, you know, because there's, <laughs> the, there's the emotional yeah. ta attachment. And then there's the, the, the music critic side of it, you know. 
just like, okay, Catatonia, Brave Murder Day. It's my favorite record by them. Is it their best? No. No, it's not. But I have I have an attachment to that. So, yeah, it's my favorite. So I, I totally get what you're saying there, 100%. Uh, uh, in, in tonight's Requiem Inferno, I, I stumble on that title, too, because that's not technically... Uh, I-N-R-I, Inri, the tag above the cross. That's 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 why it's in tonight's Requiem Inferno. I took those letters and I, I put it together. That's why that's such a stumbly title that's even hard to say and I don't even remember. We just call it Inri. Yeah, that is a very uh, religious-themed album. I was quite angry about a lot of stuff at the time. So, yeah, that one that one's pretty much spot on. That's themed on religion. Um Hamardia, that's that's themed around exactly what the title is the the fatal flaw of uh of you know your your basically your your hero or your main character and that's you know um the hero with yeah, man, you guys faces. were so right on so much it, it was it was great to see and it, it made me uh really happy to know that some people put a little bit of thought into that stuff well i know a lot of music reviewers don't talk about lyrics and that yeah. to me is just like going to see a movie without like and like closing your eyes and just listening to it, you know, or watching the movie with no sound, you know, like to me, it's just right. It's part of the picture. And obviously some people are better writing lyrics than others, but like, I feel like that's really important because especially with a band that writes collectively, which I feel like you do, it's not like, it's not like you sit down with a guitar and write everything and then you just give it to everyone else. And you can tell that because the songs are actually kind of like the emotion presented in the lyrics are actually present in the musical output as well, which doesn't happen as much whenever you have a soul songwriter. And Yeah, um, yeah. No, everybody collaborates. Everyone pitches in. Uh, Larry and Vito are the two guys that pretty much put the music, you know, the, the, the skeleton together, and then everyone else just kind of embellishes on top of that. Um, we'll give opinions. Yeah, let's play this a couple times longer. Or maybe change this or do the. But for the most part, those guys, and then they work with Gary and the three of them, the drums and the two guitars, and they kind of flesh most of it out. And then, you know, we'll we'll add our stuff on. And usually, bass is the last thing to do anything because it's it's bass and nobody cares, man. Gives a shit about so bass, yeah. Yeah, exactly, no yeah. one cares about the bass player. No so it's usually the last thing that gets addressed. And <laughs> oh, I love it until until the bass is not present on a record, then everybody flips the fuck out. <laughs> that, you know, very true. No, and he uh, Mike is such a great bass player. Mike, uh, it's funny because Mike is such a better bass player than we let him be in November Stoom, and I, I mean that because. He plays in uh, he plays in a, a, a Iron Maiden tribute band here in Chicago called Judas Beast. Awesome. And he Steve Harris is the shit out of that. He's amazing. He isn't. He's going to get a big head when he hears this because we rip <laughs> on him all the time. He is one of the best bass players that I know. And uh, we don't let him do that in November's Doom because it would be like just crazy and it wouldn't fit and it wouldn't make sense. Or so, it's all anybody would focus on. We have to rein him in. Yeah. But we gave him a little bit more freedom on this record, and he brought in Duran Duran bass lines. So, you know, that was a win. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, this is awesome. I was looking forward to this. This is uh, like coming up on new albums and stuff like this is always, uh, you know, the interviews. And I always call it Hell Week because they're so – and man, after 30 years in this band, I still get asked, how'd you come up with the band name? Why is there no apostrophe in the band name? I, I mean, the, the, and it's like, man, 30 fucking years and 11 albums. And you're asking me where I came up with a band name. I'm going to take you a know, guess. It doesn't belong to the month of November. You know what? The true, the true answer to that. It didn't look good in the logo. <laughs> it didn't look good in the logo. So it should be there, but it's not. And so we own it. 
<laughs> and something else you guys touched on, and you are so correct. If I can make any change in this band, I would have never put the word doom in our band name. Right, never. with it being a doom band, yeah. Oh, God. It was, at the time, you know, going back in the late 80s, it it it, it was a cool name, man, and it sounded great. And my guitar player, Steve, uh, the other co-founder, came up with it, and it's from a poem that he heard on the Benny Hill show. <laughs> what? And it, I, I, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna misquote it, but it, it, it's something like, "No birds, no bees, no flowers, no trees, no wonder, November." And he said, "Yeah, man, November's doom. It's, it's the month that everything dies off for the winter." And we're like, "Oh yeah, that's metal." And that was the band name. It, that's it, it's, awesome. Yeah, and that's it, man. It was, it was that simple. But it came from Benny Hill. Of, of all crazy things. But you guys owned it. Whenever you got to um, Pale Haunt Departure, I remember making a, making a uh, yep. comment that I was like, they have fully leaned in to the, yeah. p- to the, to the potential of their name, image, everything. You know, Couldn't like, get away from it at that point, man. It was ours. We, we, we were stuck with it. So, yeah, we're going to go with it. We're, we may as well make the best of it. And, uh, you know. There's so many bands that have similar names now, and it's just like, yeah, you know, whatever. Okay. It's fine. I mean, I would have felt ripped off. I would have felt ripped off if I heard a band called November's Doom that didn't ever say anything about Scarecrows. <laughs> you know? Like, what are I we even, even doing I even, here? Yeah. And mention a Scarecrow on the new record, too. So, yeah, hey, you know what? He's still there, man. He didn't quite depart yet. He's still around. <laughs> I like the uh, I like the title of the new record, too, the Nephilim uh grove, grove. nephilim grove and yep. mostly i like it because uh I don't, I don't know if you played diablo 3 um it's a uh, on well i guess it's on everything now but like the the main character of that game as you go through they you're like a hero and then they find out that you're not really just a hero but you're a nephilim you know oh. <laughs> and so it's a lot of fun it, it, yeah, i didn't know that's awesome yeah so whenever i whenever i listen to the record i uh i popped that on just to you know to get the to get kind of thematically where i was at and um i typically play video games while i listen to records for some reason i for some reason i absorb them better i don't know if it's the distraction versus the but uh i thought that i thought that that was really cool and again thematic and obviously unintentional and uh we have uh skyrim the massive smash that skyrim is uh somebody who works there apparently is a fan of the band because there is content in that where you walk up to a character and full verses of my lyrics are dialogue. That's awesome. To some of the characters. It is. And it, it, it is very cool. And it's an honor. But I reached out to the company and I'm like, hey, you know, awesome. Yeah, we saw this. And then uh, I got a bunch of screenshots from fans and very cool. You guys, just there's a fan there, obviously. Can I get a copy of the game? And Bastards never even responded to me. Asshole. It's like you sold like <laughs> millions of copies of this, man. And you can't send me one copy of the game after using our lyrics. Well, you know, you could have been that you could have been that guy and uh, been like, I'm gonna have my attorney contact you because my copyrighted content is on your it, you know, like, I'm gonna need five dollars for every copy that you sold. Every single time somebody tossed that NPC, I get twelve dollars. Yeah. Like, <laughs> my attorney did want to talk to them about it, and I said, No, don't worry about it. It's kind of an honor. Right, so, right. Well, nah, you know, that's yeah, what I, those guys do, and they do it well. They they try to protect your interest, you know. And if you don't protect it, then you don't you don't own it. So yeah, they kind of have to. But nah, I I mean it was I was more excited to see that than uh, upset by it. I thought it was really cool. So that is really cool. What was uh, I, I guess? And I always wonder this about bands. What what was what was your original spark? Like what what makes you go from being 
a guy that just is a music fan to wanting to actually have the drive to do it yourself, like to, to actually, and I know it sounds really generic because it's the, well, what did you, what, how'd you get into music? But I think it is important to specify that like, what was it that made you go from wanting to be a content appreciator to being a content creator? Um, it goes back to old Chicago bands. Um, I was influenced in a way, uh, two bands specifically in Chicago, uh, Syndrome and Chicago's Devastation. And they did something way back in the day that, okay, here, here's, here's a, another opinion. And, and by all means, take a little time and try to research this a little bit and, and see if my claim isn't so completely crazy and asinine. But the very popular Swedish death metal scene that sound was created in Chicago. Okay, so whenever we talk about Swedish death metal, are we talking at like the gates? At the gates, at Star Tranquil. So we're not talking entombed and okay. Uh, no, yeah, I, I'm talking about like that. You're talking uh, about at the, the Gothenburg. At the gates, even yeah, the Gothenburg sound was invented in Chicago. Interesting. By one man, Irv Brodingham, who was a guitar player. Uh, he was in Syndrome. He was in Devastation. And if you go back and you look at the thanks list of any of those bands back in the day, their first albums all thank Irv. When those bands come to town, those guys get together, they hang out, they praise them on stage. Devastation was such an influence on the Gothenburg sound because Irv was a Yngwie Malmsteen style guitar virtuoso and got into a death metal band. So he started incorporating that kind of technicality into a guitar in a band like that in the mid 80s and no one had heard anything like that ever. So that was big tape trading, there was no internet. So there's no way at that point. So it was all through cassette tape trading through the mail. These guys got those devastation tapes, went holy shit, listen to what this band is doing. And all of a sudden, all these bands started coming out with this new fresh sound. Came from Chicago, man. I, I'm, I'll, I'll stick to that. You know, I'm sure a lot of people will argue that, but it is something you can legitimately do a little research on, and you might see that my my theory is not that far fetched. It doesn't sound crazy though, just from a cat. Because, like I said, I you brought up Swedish death metal, and I was all like, well, which Swedish death metal? Because there right, is, right. there is a Swedish death metal sound. Very true. With bands like, um, like I said, Entombed, uh, Dismember. You know, um, there was one I just got a record of called God Macabre that I thought was really interesting. But basically, um, those bands still sounded more like traditional death metal, whereas the Gothenburg stuff just seemed totally out of left field. That's okay. That's you know, that's so what I'm referring that, that to. That leads. It, that definitely lends some credence to what you're saying, though. Because why would why wouldn't they be influenced by the Swedish bands that were there already? But obviously, they didn't sound the same. We fall into that unfortunate category that those same bands did here at the time. At the time we were coming up, and those bands were coming up, all eyes were on other parts of the world. The big metal scene in, in the States at that time was Florida and New York. So you had suffocation and you, then you had death and obituary and those bands down south. So all eyes were on that side of the country. Chicago was completely overlooked. We had fantastic bands other than like Trouble and uh, Macabre a little later who, who got big quickly. Most of those death metal bands and things like that 
never had a chance because the world wasn't looking here. They were looking at the big three in England for the style of music we were playing. They looked at, you know, that's another one, like they said, where everyone, My Dying Bride. We traded demos with those guys back in the day. We've been friends with them since the very beginning. There was never a, wow, listen to this band. Let's sound like this. And we've had these discussions. Again, it's it's the influence pool. It's we love Black Sabbath. We we loved, you know, it, it was all we love Pink Floyd. We it all comes from the same source. For me, my vocal style, I didn't hear someone like uh, Michael or somebody else. I listened to a band like Forbidden and I heard Russ sing like the clean choruses in the thrash band, and I went, Man, I want deep guttural growls like like grave. Or, you know, or a band like that. And then I want to like sing like Russ and I want that. And and I like put my like influence. I wanted something to sound like the, the other thing is you guys brought up the enunciation and the clarity of my growls. That is 100 percent like that's that's the syndrome devastation influence from Chicago bands for me. Troy Dixler had this evil, deep sounding voice and he was so enunciated and clear and I always said, man, I, I I want if I've got something to say, people have to know what I'm saying. Otherwise, there's no point. And it was kind of like like that first classic like obituary album. I don't really think there's actual lyrics on that record. I, I think Dude. if history serves, it's it's like you yeah. didn't need him though, man. His voice was an instrument of that band, and it worked. But for me, I'm like I, I can't like sing along to this, man. And I, I want to sing along to it. I can't. So I, I my influences came from like weird kind of places, but but hearing how great someone could be like like Troy from Syndrome or Dwayne from Devastation and and knowing that, hey, I know those guys and they're local and they're man, I could do this and I, I wanna do this and I I, I wanna be one of those people too. And you know, it, it came from that kind of mentality where I was just so impressed by something I had never heard before. I just, I wanted to be a part of something no one heard before. And we unfortunately got heard too late down the line where we didn't turn into the band that started anything. We turned into the band that copied everybody else when that was never the case. Right. Unfortunately. Yeah. It's just, a, it's, it's, you can't help how you're perceived, you know? And no. I think that's, that's the hardest part is you proximity can grin, effect. Yeah, you can yep. grin and bear it, or you can just you know be a bitch about it. You know what I mean? Like one of the two. Absolutely. And uh, you know, I think uh, what what I found interesting too is so Joe brought up, um, which I, I kind of laughed when he did on the episode about what was it about like slow death doom metal that was popular? You know, at the time whenever your first record came out, which I think that was what ninety five. And uh, yeah. And I was like, actually, you know, Joe, there was a lot of bands that were doing that style at the time but in to to what you're saying i was like but the band formed in 89 so like you know <laughs> there was a, lo a long period of time where if you to put out a minute's hollowed mirth in 1990 nobody would call you a copycat band you, you know what i mean right like or you know there there was like a good five years it's like but by the time you started it was written it was written earlier you know, it, 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 it's funny because, you know, we have we have demos that didn't make it on the first record. There's like years of demos as well. So, I mean, there was plenty of material before then. Um, again, you know, I, I, and I'll tell you what it was because Chicago was so uh, in the shadows and, and overlooked. The scene here was pretty cutthroat. 
And there were a lot of local cliques of friends. And if you didn't belong to that clique, man, they made sure that like people didn't come see your band. They were almost like little band gangs. It's really silly. Instead of helping the scene and helping, people got competitive. And everyone wanted to be basically the king of the shithill. And it was a shithill because no one was looking at Chicago anyway. So right. it didn't matter. So we had the, the the foresight to look at things and go, well, let's not focus on local. Who cares about local? We don't. Let's let's broaden. Let's start shopping to European labels only. Let's not like look at these American labels and let's try to reach the other side of the world. And, and that's what we did. And we got picked up by Avantgarde out of Italy, which was interesting itself because no Internet, no cell phones. Did you guys speak just, Italian? Uh, no. <laughs> so uh, I, I got a copies of mid when they finally arrived um it was funny because he just sent like a box of the cds to november's doom and uh, to lagrange illinois and <laughs> it, 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 it's so dumb so i'm calling him and and uh, you know long distance and it's really hard to and i'm like yeah uh, where are they and finally i tracked down the box they were in a customs storage facility right and they were there for months and when I finally tracked the box down and walked in and I'm like, look, the box just says November's Doom LaGrange, Illinois. You, you're going to need the box because that's the only way you're going to see like my face and my name is on the CD <laughs> in the box. This is my stuff. I couldn't prove I was November's Doom. Or, so that's exactly what they did. They had to open the box and look at it and go, OK, yeah, this is you. And then I had to pay like $600 like storage fee for the box because it sat there for years. Oh. So you know good times so man. dumb yeah that's yeah. that's kind of funny though like i'll just i'll just address it to november's doom because they must be a big enough deal in their town to where anybody that gets this package will know right who to take it to <laughs> it was such a different time it was a very innocent time um boy am i glad like after the avant-garde deal and all of that kind of stuff and we did move over to uh, american side of things but um with European connections and we always wanted to keep our focus there, which is why we're with Prophecy now. It's like they're a German-based label and we've had it with like the American label we were with and they did nothing where we needed them to do it and so we moved on and yeah, it, it's uh, you need to go where your fan base is, not try to make a fan base in your hometown when there isn't one. Well, yeah, it's impossible too. Like you're 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 out there, you know, shilling day in and day out. Like, check this out, check this out. Yeah, we got a demo or we got an out where we have we have seven albums or eight albums mm -hmm. or or whatever. And you know, just getting people to be like, oh, okay. And it, like it, it's kind of shocking. I think it's twofold. It's shocking how many people are into extreme metal now than there used to be. Because like back yeah. in the '90s, man, you were like really flipping a fucking coin. You know, showing oh, yeah. your stuff to anybody, you know, where, where the heaviest thing they'd ever heard is like helmet, you know, or, or something like that. Right. right. And uh, you're like, no, we, we do this like death doom thing. And they're like, oh, you worship the devil. And you're like, well, no, uh, it's not. It's not really like that either. You know, <laughs> And so uh, I used to have to explain it to people. It was it was if you're what it's the exorcist put to music. That, that was right. the only way I was able to like explain it way back in the day to people who just had no clue what I was talking about. Uh, what was the, uh, so, you know, you were talking about the American label. I'm, we're not going to get into all that, but like, basically like what it, in, in 2019, 
what does a label look like as far as like doing anything for the band that the band can't do themselves? Um, that's a good question because I mean we had multiple conversations about um, doing it ourselves and recording ourselves and putting it out ourselves and and why sign our rights away and why give somebody else and 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 all of that and there's good arguments on both sides. Um, prophecy made it impossible to say no. Um, I I put it out there that we were free of our label and we got offers coming in some pretty reputable labels and uh they came forward and like I, I i was jaded for being with another label for so long and i had a lot of like pretty strong opinions about things and i was very matter of fact about this is what we can do this is what we can't do this is what we won't do this and 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 it was like they were okay with all of it and they were understanding and they were accepting and and it was just everything that we discussed, not only did they have an answer for, they had a better answer for than I expected. And they offered us, and it's I'm not, I'm not saying they offered us like, well, they offered us the biggest check because truthfully, they didn't. We were offered more money. I mean, it, it was not about the money, but Prophecy offered us that artistic home that we feel we fit, that we weren't going to be just a band that all right here's your album get out there and tour for nine months and and you know or you're not going to get this or you're not going to get that they came we we have stuff coming out like i just got product yesterday i just got i just got the cd and i just got the vinyl uh, and i opened up the box the and vinyl. i was like it oh man dude the vinyl is i'm blown away by it i we've never had product that is this high quality and well made the, from the protective sleeves to the sleeve that the record goes in there's like this cellophane window glued on the inside to protect the label there's so much awesomeness about like their product they put quality above everything else like we have a box set they're doing too that's that's coming that has an art book like this big 48 page like leather bound art book inside and and posters and a it, a box with a foil stamp logo. I'm like I'm like a little kid. I'm excited about this. I mean, this is they're just I, I couldn't do that myself. Joe, how much I, I money have, did we make on, on the last month on the podcast? I was about to suggest that you just ship one of those yeah. to Discuss Metal <laughs> yeah. Care of United States. I was like, we'll just we'll, we'll, we'll get see, it when we'll it shows up. Do. We'll see what we just, can do. Just write, just write Discuss Metal, St. Louis, Missouri. We'll figure and then, it out. Yeah. And then maybe three years from now, you could pay 600 for it in a storage right. facility. Except, wow, my, dude, except this, my picture's not in it. This vinyl is warped as fuck. I don't know if it got hot or what. <laughs> no, but like yeah, the first time I heard the record, I was like, I got to have the vinyl. Like, it's just... We live in that we we live in this weird age right now where everybody was like, "No, fuck you, digital. We want actual, you know, physical copies." I'm I'm sure that helps. Uh, it does, but it's it's not nearly as much as it used to be. Um, people like vinyl because they like collecting, and if you're going to collect something, fuck the CD because the artwork's only this big. Uh, you get nice, awesome, brilliant, gorgeous artwork and. Vinyl is just a nicer package for people. And this, like, it's it's a double vinyl. I think it's 180 gram. It's real thick, real heavy. And uh, it's it's three songs per side. It's a nine-song album. So the fourth side, we did an etch. So it's got, like, this etching of the... Man, it... it badass. When you see this it's thing, badass, man, it's, yeah. it, it's incredible. I, I'm blown away at how awesome this is. And that's what Prophecy gives us and why we didn't do it ourselves because... I don't have the means. I we don't have. You'd I have mean, to do a have, crowdfund to get that. And 
uh, yeah, I don't want to do that, man. I, I, I understand I, 100%. Like, because it's crowdfund is like you probably have the fans for it, but there's a certain sense of like, are we just begging people for money? You know, like I get it. I, it is. And, and, uh, you know, I just, I do like having a partner in this in, in terms of a label and something of, of family and, and like a label that goes to bat for you. Somebody who will help you, um, who has a little bit more pull than I do in Germany, who might be able to help us get on Vaken or, you know, there, there are all these little things that, that come into play and they, they run their own festivals and they're just good people. And, and I have, I have nothing bad to say in the last year we've been dealing with them preparing for this and getting this out and they've handled everything with professionalism and uh, in a completely different kind of way that, that it's just, uh, it's refreshing. And now that I've seen, like, I can't wait to see the box set in the book that's coming next week, I think. But yeah, man, I, I'm, we're really excited about this and, and the product that they are actually offering. Like, like some of the old stuff that have come out, we felt bad about, you know, ah, you know, the vinyl feels a little flimsy. It's not like the highest quality record it could have been. Like the like some labels will cut corners just so they can still charge you twenty five dollars but that vinyl. But they're you know, they're getting it made for ten ninety five instead of fourteen ninety five. And, you know, they, they want every penny out of that profit they can. Prophecy doesn't do that, man. They want you to have the highest quality piece they can give you for the lowest price, and they're just awesome people. Well, yeah, because it doesn't help them if they're just like basically pressing the CD version to the to the vinyl or or MP3 version right. to the vinyl because we can hear that. Like us asshole music critics, yep, we'll put you on blast immediately about shit like that. You know, uh, Dan Dan Swano, he does all our mixing, and he we have a different mix, uh, different master for the vinyl for the CD itself, and there is a different uh, master for the digital download stuff. So they are all like specifically mastered for their medium. That's awesome. Thank you for that. You're very welcome. For the label especially, it's they want to put out such high-quality product that whenever people are like, hey, anything that comes out from this label is good shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? absolutely. Oh, man, and that's, I mean, remember back in the day? Maybe not. I mean, I, I might just be too damn old. But, like, when Earache was a label and they started, I went to the store, and if it came out with the Earache logo, I bought it. Oh, yeah. If I knew who the band was or not, I knew I was in for an awesome record because they were only putting out quality for a long time. And and I think Prophecy is kind of like, they, they don't have that kind of like uh, reputation like, like old Earache did, but to me... They're that kind of label where if you buy something from Prophecy, you know you're getting quality. You know, it's going to be like like a top shelf piece. And uh, man, they're just, they do such good work. Dude, I still buy from the Eric store. Like, I mean, the, whenever they started doing their vinyl represses, like the um, uh, Dynamic Range releases, yeah. I was like all over that. Like, That's where up, it is in 2019. I bought, holy shit, I bought yeah. like a couple of Entombed records. Give me all the frequencies. Like, oh my god, yeah, it's, nice. just, it's so great because here's the thing, man, as the user I can turn the shit up as loud as I need to turn it up. It doesn't have to be artificially boosted for me or, you know, right. all, all right. that stuff, so it sounds it sounds good, but uh, last thing I bought from Earache was uh, Woods 5, Woods of Prey. And I thought one of the classiest things those guys ever did is uh, the day that David died, they released the album like months early free. 
just for people, then here you go, man, download it, listen to his music. And I, I just thought that was a, a tremendous thing that they did. So yeah, that was, that was classy. It, it, you know, I know a lot of people bag on that for, for a lot of decisions that they've made. And I know bands that have been signed to them and dropped from them and have nothing but bad things to say. I thought that was classy, man. And I thought they didn't get any credit for doing that. And I thought that was awesome. Totally. Well, you got to remember, these are companies made up of individuals. Some individuals make good decisions and some make bad decisions. And, Very true. Uh, and, you know, Very I, think, true. I think sometimes when you have a, a brand to throw on the front of it, much like being in a band, you know, if somebody in your band does something crazy, like, unfortunately, you get the heat for that, you know? Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. Oh, no, that's very true. No, we, we're we very careful. We have to watch what we say. We have to, uh, you know, we have to be careful how we act, what we do, because unfortunately, especially today, you say the wrong thing, man, you're crucified. And Absolutely. Y- yeah, people are vicious. So, yeah, you can't make off-color jokes, and you got to be really, really careful about the things you say these days. Yeah, you got to be like, hey, are the, are, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't. It's funny too seeing people like pull up stuff from like five, five or six years ago or 10 years ago from people and they're like, oh my God, I right. can't believe I said that. And then their career's over. You know, it's, a, it's, yep. it's, it's, ter- it's, it's terrifying. But, you know, I also think though that's also a way to keep us striving to be good individuals, <laughs> you know, on day to day. Not there aren't that many of us out there that are like trying to be truly evil. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, even 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 the the best people on the planet have had their off days, man. And and your people say things they don't mean. They say things out of anger. They say things that they learned from childhood, and and it's just you know it rolls off the tongue at the wrong time. And yeah, I mean, you could lose your career over something you said ten or fifteen years ago. Absolutely. Even if you're just trying to be funny, comedians are the only ones who can kind of get away with saying whatever they want to because it's a joke. It's supposed to be funny. They're like, it was funny but, at the time. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a weird world, man. We live in a very strange time. Well, um, in 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 closing, I, I, I need to know more about this uh, about this box set because I don't know anything about it. <laughs> and I need to, I, 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 you know, I, I need to know more. So what are, what are we looking at here with with what the box set includes? OK, so what I what I believe that it is, it is a solid black box that's the size of a vinyl record. So it's about 12 by 12. It's a black box. OK. And the logo and Nephilim Grove is, I think, red foil stamped on the top of the box. So you open up the box and inside you get a vinyl edition. And I believe like right now you can buy black and red vinyl, but I think the box edition is silver. If I'm correct. Okay. It might be silver in in the box set. Oh, she's pulling up. Oh, it is. It's silver. It's silver records. Okay. Shit. I didn't even see this picture. (laughs) She's showing me what it is. Okay. So yeah, you probably learning together. All right. So yeah, it's, so it's silver vinyl. You get this box, this black box, the art book, um, which is gorgeous. This is the first time I'm seeing this. This is very cool. <laughs> You're really getting excited. You're like, fuck yeah, let's do it. Silver yeah. records. There's four posters. Oh, man. Yeah, the, the art book itself has... I got a uh, wall here. I got a wall here. <laughs> yeah, we'll the be good. The art book is... It's got two discs in it. The one disc is just the regular album, and the second disc is just the two bonus songs. But I, I sent you guys... I just tacked them on at the end of yeah, that. They're yeah, the yeah, two, like, I appreciate that. versions of that stuff. So, um, yeah, that's... Uh, comes with two discs for that. The art book, I, it, I think it's like a 7 by 7 like faux leather bound foil stamp cover and it's got like all kinds of there's a lot of images like uh 
concept art sketches that the artist did for the cover. Um, there's a foreword in there from Dan Suano. There's a lot of band photos. It's just this really cool, like little collector's little coffee table book kind of thing. So nice. Yeah, the, the posters. Uh, there's only 300 copies of this thing available. She's showing me. So yeah, there's 300 of them total. It's very limited. That's cool. So on the podcast, we refer to that as the holy fucking shit edition. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah I, I said I, she just showed me that picture. I haven't even seen what what's like the package actually looks like. Yeah, I designed all this stuff and I sent it to him piece by piece, but I didn't see like that picture of all of it. And I'm like, wow, looks yeah. amazing. That is really cool. It's it's definitely a different experience when you when you when you're seeing it and you know it, it's a real thing. It's not just you know a concept yeah. anymore. So that is so cool. Uh, Paul, thank you for taking the time out to talk to us tonight about all this stuff. Like, uh, dude, I am not above reproach. Like, if I fuck something up on that episode, I expect you to tell me. You know, no, <laughs> like, man, you guys did such. And then that's really why I wanted to reach out. I was so impressed with that from beginning to end, and I was like, man, this is. I, I, I really. You guys have no idea how much I appreciate that the way you handle even comparisons and things like that. You, you do it in a way that is different than most anybody else that I've heard discuss our music or review our music. And it was done the way I wish everybody would like discuss music. It's uh yeah, you, you made a fan out of me. I'm going to, I'm going to listen to everything you guys do from this point forward. Cause uh, yeah, man, I, I, it's not often I can say I really like these journalists and how they review <laughs> things. And, sure. <laughs> but yeah, man, you guys are awesome. I, I really appreciate what you did for us. Any, any kind of, uh, you know, I, I like around this time we had a new album coming out and it wasn't even about the new album. I was like, well, what the hell? Holy cow. Yeah. So, well, it's awesome. funny. It's funny because we put November's doom on the schedule for November of what was it, Joe? 2017. Yes. <laughs> and so when I said at the beginning of the episode, like we've been putting this off for two years, like that was no joke. We we have uh, had a little bit of trouble maintaining co-hosts because what I mean, what we ask people to do is kind of like tough, like especially like when a band's not good throughout oh, their yeah, career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And then we're like, well, you got to listen to it anyway. And then they're like, well, it sucks. And I'm like, yeah, but we have to stay objective and we have to stay, you know, you know, in all that. And so in that regard, we were very appreciative to be listening to November's Doom because it was an enjoyable experience throughout. Oh, Instead man, of me I, I having don't, to just don't like, you, I'm sure it was brutal and boring as fuck. Are okay, you kidding okay. me? Okay, the first album it was. Uh, okay, but, maybe a little you know. the second one. I, <laughs> man, trust no, me. I like I the second one. I wouldn't want to do that. Dude, we, I got band members like, like, like our bass player, Mike. He couldn't tell you the name of two songs off our first three records. He, he hasn't even listened to them yet. So for, and I'm not even kidding. So for you guys to like sit there and go through the entire catalog, that's impressive because I don't even think I would do that at this point in my career. Looking back on it, if I had started the podcast tomorrow, I'd be like, yep, we're going to do one album per episode. But, yeah, uh, that's rough. Man, you know, I, I give you a lot of credit, especially ten albums. Holy yeah. crap! We've done more. We did Cannibal Corpse, that was like fourteen. Wow! And uh, we did Napalm Death, which was uh, I don't know, like eighty-five albums. <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> it was, it was, we don't talk. We don't talk about EPs because nobody's got time for that. But like, um, yeah, it was definitely an enjoyable experience for us. And um, you know, you did mention Catatonia a number of times. So if we were to do a Catatonia episode at some point in the future, would you be interested in co-hosting that with us? Hell yeah, man. I'll do that. They're friends of mine. So, you know, yeah, I, I would I would absolutely love to do that and uh, and and be a part of that. That'd be great. That'd be yeah, a lot of fun. Because I am, I, am, I am a fan of that band. I think they're they're absolutely 
again, great guys, great people, wonderful music. Uh, one of the few bands, in my opinion, that was able to make a style change and it worked and it worked and, and they continued to get better and better. And, you know, yeah, absolutely, man. I'd love to do that. I'd love to be a part of that. That'd be a ton of fun. Well, we'll uh, we'll let you get all your uh, all the glory of Nephilim Grove, you know, um, <laughs> out there, and uh, we'll uh, we'll reach out to you again after that. And well, we'll stay in contact because I fully expect to see actual pictures of this box set. <laughs> absolutely. So um, absolutely, we'll, we'll stay in contact. And uh, yeah, I can't promise you anything. Let me see what uh, what we get in. And oh, if, don't uh, worry, don't worry about that if stuff. I do, but, yeah, I'll see what I can do for you. Pictures at least, you know. I love absolutely. all that stuff. So. Uh, Paul, thank you so much. And uh, I guess, Joe, is that where we're ending the official segment? Sure. <laughs> Sounds good, guys. All right. Have a good, good night. To you, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Good night. That was our conversation with Paul Kerr of November's Doom. Joe, how are you feeling after that? It's interesting to me anytime we do an episode and we joke amongst ourselves. The band's eventually going to hear this, right? Like, this is something we should or shouldn't say because they're going to hear about it. Paul not only heard it, he came out of the woodwork and said, you guys nailed it. You also didn't nail it. So let me tell you all about the things you didn't nail, because I got some stories for you. It just went from there. Absolutely. And it was a ton of fun. We got to hear a little bit of background information stuff that I was not aware of. Dan has been blocked from purchasing the box set. I cannot spend your guys' money on the box set, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to spend my own. Signing up for overtime tomorrow, I see. God help me. I'm going to have to work a whole bunch of extra hours, but it is totally fucking worth it. We hope you guys really enjoyed this episode of Discuss Metal. If this is a podcast that you want to hear continue, let us know. If you don't care about it, let us know. We, we don't know. We can't, we can't read your mind. You got to tell us. So that's one of the things that you can do to let us know if you like these extra podcasts that we're doing. We've got Discuss Metal Podcast, Discography Discussion, Thrift Blast, Movie Mosh, which is coming very soon. Let us know if this is what you guys want or if you guys just want us to do Discography Discussion. Let us know on Facebook, facebook.com slash discography discussion, Twitter at Discuss Metal. You can join our Discord server. There's going to be a link in the show notes you can click on to join us on Discord. You can send us an email at show at gmail.com. This has been the first episode of the Discuss Metal podcast, and we will be back to discuss metal with you very soon. Discuss Metal.